0: Hello, Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Cook Thoughts Podcast, and on this episode, I get to interview Kathy Mergett. Dr. Kathy Margat is the Associate Vice President and Dean of Student Affairs at the Culinary Institute of America. In this position, she is directly responsible for all student affairs at the college, including residence life, health services, counseling, and psychological services, international student affairs, student activities and athletics, recreation, and wellness. Prior to assuming her current role in 2015, Dr. Margette was Dean of Liberal Arts and Business Management for 15 years. She joined the CIA in 1994 and was one of the 12 new faculty members designing the curriculum for the college's then-new bachelor's degree in management and teaching interpersonal communication and psychology of human behavior in the program. Dr. Margette also has taught freshman and sophomore level nutrition and in introduction to management courses at the CIA. She previously taught at Mary's College in Poughkeepsie, New York, as an adjunct graduate instructor. Kathy earned her PhD and master's degrees in applied developmental psychology from Fordham University in Bronx, New York. She also holds a master's degree in counseling community psychology from Mayor's College and a bachelor of science from the State University of New York at Cortland. In 2011, Dr. Mergett returned to school enrolling in Duke University's integrative medicine program to become a certified integrative health coach, focusing on the health and well-being of those who pursue a career in the culinary profession. She has been instrumental in introducing students, faculty, and staff at the CIA to the concept and practice of mindfulness. Additional areas of research within the food industry include emotional intelligence and non-cognitive skill sets. Kathy is a strong advocate for veterans who are returning to school. Dr. Margett is co-author of Anorexia, Bulimia, and Compulsive Overeating. Dr. Margett has 15 years experience in private practice as a therapist in the Hudson Valley. Kathy Margett is the New York State Chair for the American Council on Education Women's Network. She has served as Associate State Chair, Regional Coordinator, and Institutional Representative for the Mid-Hudson Association of Women in Higher Education, and is a founding member of the CIA's Women in Leadership Group. She is also on the Board of Directors for Vassar Brothers Medical Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Kathy lives in Highland, New York, with her husband, Dennis. They have four sons. And the reason I'm so excited to share this interview with Dean Margette, uh, I know her as Dean Margette because she was Dean of the CIA when I was there, when I was a student there, is because she's someone throughout my culinary career... Uh, I mean, my culinary school career, who taught me a lot. She taught me a lot about, you know, mindset and just being positive and looking at things in a positive light and taking care of myself and focusing on myself at the end of the day. I stretched myself really thin at, at school. And I did a lot of different projects and initiatives, and I worked very closely with Dean Mergett on a lot of them. And it was very refreshing to have someone kind of tell me to take a break once in a while or at least take a step back and realize that I need a break as well or I need to take some time to focus on myself and not just everything around me and I truly do miss the days I would go into her office and talk to her and she always had these cards in her office and they would say like listen motivate yourself or you know something it was just like a simple like, one word task to focus throughout on the day and I remember I would take those back and hang them in my dorm room on my wall, and I would just like look at them and remind myself of all the lessons I carried from those conversations. And you know, it was a very informative time for me talking to her, and that's why I was so happy to share this podcast with everyone. I learned a lot from her on this podcast interview, and I hope all you line cooks do as well because I know this is a topic that you've been asking me to cover for quite some time mental and physical wellness outside of the kitchen. And I couldn't think of anyone more more suited to talk about it than her because she is someone who helped me kind of get my life together outside of the kitchen in terms of me some and you know being really well prepared for life and I thank her for that and I just feel like sharing that information with the rest of you could help you greatly and I really hope this podcast is beneficial I really hope a lot of you close to take a lot away from this and at the end of the day I really just hope that you take the time as she suggests in the morning or before your day starts to 60 seconds and determine what you're going to do that day. It's all about attitude and perspective, and I want to get into this topic more on later podcasts as well, in terms of kitchen work and the, you know, the grind every single day of doing the same thing to get better and better. You know, Your attitude can switch and you become different, but I think what Kathy Mergett does is she alleviates that by taking a view that most people don't in terms of positivity and just self-care, and a lot of cooks don't take care of themselves. And it's just a need of serving others. But at the end of the day, you can't really serve others efficiently if you don't serve yourself. So I'm really excited for you all to listen to this. I really would love feedback. I know Dean Mergett wants to hear some feedback. So I'm going to put up a couple stickers on Instagram for you all to respond to after you hear the episode. But really, I just want your feedback. And I want to know if this helped you all in any way. And I really hope this is the podcast you've been looking for. I'm so excited to share it with you. Thank you so much as usual. And let's get this started. How's it going, Dean Brigette?
1: I'm very well. It's great to see you again.
0: So for people who don't know who um, you are, obviously, you were someone for me who was very, you were a role model at school. You were someone who I looked up to a lot. Uh, Dean Brigette helped me a lot when I was on student government. So I'm at the Colonial Student of America right now, and I just graduated in July. And basically, my time spent there, I was on student government helping do everything from start at Community Garden to help with allergen committees. And Dean Brigad and I would meet every two weeks, I think. And before every meeting, she would have me grab a card. She has cards here on her table now. The one I'm looking at says "Listen," and it would just kind of be like a message or a, something to remind yourself later in the day. And she would always ask how I was doing, and she was very interested in my well-being and very interested in you know what I'm doing day to day. So I really wanted to have her on to talk about you know wellness outside of the kitchen. She's well; she'll get into what she does at the CIA, but um. Yeah, I think it'll be very valuable for the young cooks out there and just cooks in general to listen. So if you just want to introduce yourself and kind of explain what you're doing now.
1: Sure. And thank you, Ray. Um, so as Ray said, I'm Kathy Margette and I am currently the associate vice president and dean of student affairs and uh, been at the culinary for 25 years. There were 12 of us that were hired back in 1994. Uh, to write curriculum for the incoming bachelor's program that we started in professional studies and uh, taught for about five years, then became dean for liberal arts and uh, business management and education. And then just four years ago, was able to get a great opportunity to come down and, and run the division of student affairs. And uh, for me, you know, it kind of equates to being the proud mama of about uh, 2,200 kids, <laughs> Um, and so, uh, it's, it's great to be able to give back in a different way.
0: That's great. And, uh, when you were teaching, what, what did you teach exactly over those years?
1: So my whole background is in psychology, uh, primarily in health and wellness. And so I taught the psychology of human behavior on the bachelor's level. Uh, we had a course called interpersonal communications where we would take a look at conflict resolution, decision-making, all those good, fun, important things, uh, taught some nutrition classes and then uh, supervisory development, which was really more on the management side of the house.
0: Okay. And how was it teaching um, a bunch of chefs? <laughs>
1: well, you know it, it was a, that's a great question. It was an interesting um, initiation. Into the industry. So, again, as I shared, my background is in psychology. Uh, You know, I spent some years working at a psychiatric hospital and then I was in private practice. I taught some graduate courses uh, down the road at another college for a while. Um, So, in that world, prior to getting here, my focus was on uh, weight management. So, I was dealing in private practice over 12 years, primarily with women who were struggling with their relationship with food um, and with a lot of other things. Food was sort of that mechanism that they, were, that they were struggling with. And so when I came to the CIA and was involved in a classroom setting where every student, every paper, every focus had something to do with food, the value of food, the importance of food, the creativity and innovation around food, uh, it was a whole new world for me a whole new world where I was actually with now, uh, students and chefs and, uh, you know, other folks that had been here before who wanted nothing more than to have their passion of food and everything around it to be celebrated. Whereas I left a, I left a former uh, focus where food was Used in a in a not healthy way
2: mm-hmm. with
1: a lot of folks. So, um, love every single day. Ray, I come here. I learn something new about uh, the industry. I learn something new about our students. I learn something new about um, the changing environment that we're in when it comes to the industry. And I'm I'm still very much uh, curious about the industry. And uh, when I got here in '94. I fell in love with it, which is why I stayed, um, and continue to have this great relationship with wanting to just know as much as I can.
0: That's great to hear. And how has the student body, I guess, in general, changed over the years? Because we're going to be getting into like wellness outside of the kitchen. Uh, how have they changed in terms of being aware of you know having to be well outside of the kitchen with mental health being such a big topic nowadays mm-hmm. in the culinary industry? Mm-hmm. When did you start to see that change? Shift has it always been there? No, Because obviously I can't attest to it. I've only been in the industry for like six years. But what, like, what have you noticed? Or like, when did it start to really shift towards caring for yourself more?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great question, and I think that there's multiple points in time that things may have shifted. So, when I think about uh, the advent of the television food shows, you know, television food networks, so on and so forth, that was in the mid '90s, and back then. You know, chefs were primarily, or students were primarily head down, uh, go through all of the classes, make sure that you're doing everything in the manner in which you need to do it, and then going out into an industry which was primarily focused around restaurants, right? The white tablecloth restaurants, you know, back then. And the advent of that um, being on television and celebrity chefs and such. Uh, the good news about that is that it helped students to understand and the rest of the industry, I think, to understand the value of communication. Mm-hmm. So when there was things to talk about and in food, there's always a lot of things to talk about. Uh, the chefs were coming from the back of the house into the front of the house, having to talk more with customers or not having to, wanting to talk more with customers. And the same thing as they were going on to different uh, different television shows or radio shows to talk about. Uh, their experience in the industry. You know, before that, it was a. Um, I don't know whether it was really spoken to the rest of the world,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: industry, um, in as in quite as a direct way as it was maybe at the advent of some of the the, the um, coming out of the kitchen, coming from the back of the house to the front of the house to meet customers and such. And I think for our students, what I have also found is as the industry really takes on an expansion of opportunities where somebody can now be in food photography, in food media, in food communications, in the restaurant industry, in the uh, club or hotel industry. Uh, Folks can be, students can be involved in uh, food politics and things like sustainability and food, you know, applied food studies. Um, It's expanded. Mm -hmm. It's expanded. And I think with that expansion, students are recognizing how valuable and important food is, not just to eat, obviously, right, but also what are the health and wellness benefits of the manner in which we treat food, the manner in which we make food, we grow food, we uh, are are concerned about, you know, things like waste management. And I think with all of that focus now, that's helped students to uh, say, hey, wait a second, you know what, what about me? I, gotta, I, I need to really figure out how to to manage all of these different competing elements of this career. Um, and self-care is certainly one of them. Great. Yeah, definitely.
0: And for students now, I mean, the CIA has so many great opportunities. The Farm to Table Concentration, which I was able to take part in, um, really showing why it's important to have relationships with farmers and people who produce your food and even like big scale farming. Um, And you have a lot of clubs on campus now or groups that are focused on self-care and self-awareness. Where do you see, like, do you ever see the curriculum taking on more self-care type, I guess, classes or... You know, like you were saying, like psychology mm-hmm. for bachelor's degrees. What about like associate's degrees? Like, mm-hmm. how does how, is that going to tie into anything in the future, in like the next five to ten years?
1: Yeah, it's already happening. Okay. So things like professionalism and life skills class, which is a first semester uh, course in which it's really about acclimating to uh, refocusing on yourself, reflecting on the value and importance of where you are in your life at the moment, and what you can do to take care of yourself. So uh, there is always conversations about self-care okay. uh, in those classes. So that's that's one element. We have a great partnership with Harvard School of Public Health, where we are uh, an initiative has been Menus of Change. And Menus of Change is uh, built not just around food, but around things like sustainability and waste management that helps to understand the value and importance of how we take care of ourselves. So there's a fantastic infographic on menus of change. It's got 24 guiding principles. Mm -hmm. And there are things that are common sense, but for many folks, they're not common practice. So, you know, can we um, potentially eat less red meat more often um, as one thing? Can we have um, our, can we pay attention to how we move to legumes and grains as our primary focus on the plate. Mm -hmm. And that gets now taught throughout the curriculum in a variety of different ways. It also is uh, co-curricular in nature. And that's one of the things that you got to experience. Things like the Allergy Awareness Committee, we recognize now in the United States, for sure, that there is an increase in different levels of allergens that are coming out um, through, through each individual. And so part of the wellness component is getting together and saying, you know what, there's some allergy issues. There's, you know, um, eight primary top allergens that are food related. What do we need to know about them? How do we need to teach students What are students asking about them? How do we help students that are coming into the culinary industry that are going to be managing food or ingesting food? uh, And they may have allergies. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, You know, they may may have some of those top allergens. So uh, as an example, it was a joint effort co-curricularly between students and education and student affairs to create an allergen awareness committee. Uh, And it was multidimensional and very successful. So now as an example, right, students come into our school and if they have allergies, they meet with somebody in health services for some more health education Mm -hmm. on how we manage business here. uh, And they will sign a contract um, to say, you know what, I value myself enough uh, and, and want to make sure that I follow all the protocol that I need to to not get into any kind of difficulties regarding my allergies. And so that is backed up with uh, information that we now post about food allergies, making sure that the students and certainly the chefs are communicating out if foods are made with certain things. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So to go back to the sort of the original question on, on, you know, how is it woven through? We have we have upped the awareness component on self-care in general meaning that we talk about it all the time. And, you know, the example that you gave about coming into the office and seeing my cards on my desk, which are simple intentions for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, today I will. And you saw the card that said, listen. Mm -hmm. So the reminders that we can help students and everybody, frankly, this is an equal opportunity, um, build into the day-to-day mindfulness that uh, gets uh, brought to the table in their day anybody's day is really, it's invaluable.
0: Okay. And I asked you if there was a time where you started to notice the want for, uh, was there like CIA in particular, was there like a benchmark time or like a year where you like you like clicked for you? Like, okay. Like we have to start implementing this. Like were there like students who were really needed in need of it? Or was it just something over time that just generated or was there like a moment in time where it was like, all right, like students need, to be talking more about like taking care of themselves and really just understanding what it means to take care of everything.
1: Yeah, I think it's multi. Uh, there's multi variables that go into that whole question, because I think that the CIA has been thinking and talking about health related uh, components of food, value of food. Uh, as you know, we've got cuisines of the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. We don't- Beautiful opportunity to learn more about um, some of the health benefits of food. So I think for for students, um, generationally, there's more focus on wellness. We're seeing increases in obesity and diabetes and um, heart-related diseases that we can't ignore, Mm -hmm. right? And so what's our role as an educational institution to say we, we're, we're doing things around this issue. So I'm not sure whether there was a specific point in time. I think it has really um, organically grown as a very steady topic of conversation and action here uh, because the world's ready for it. hmm Uh, We're talking much more about things like farm to table or sustainability or waste management. Uh, We're taking a look at the value of food plays in medicinal ways. So when it comes to our um, integrative medicine approach. So as an example, in 2011, and frankly, I've been fascinated with this topic since I got here. (laughs) Um, When I first started, there was a fruit basket in Farquharson Hall. And, um, you know, I was curious because there weren't a lot, there wasn't one on every table, mm-hmm. and, you know, so my, my observation was, hmm, you know, what, why, why not? Long story short is that, you know, fruit got on every table. Uh, and that was way back when. And so the idea of honing in on what are some of the challenging aspects of the industry, uh, which is, you know, the, the days of the week that folks may work if they're in a traditional restaurant environment um, the thinking, you know the the mental acuity that's needed for the creativity and innovation of food productions mm-hmm. um, and and restaurants. And then really thinking about physically how does how does the industry um, bode on on people's physical nature? Uh, that back in two thousand and eleven, I went back to to school um, at Duke Integrative School of Medicine to become a certified health coach. And health coaching wasn't so much talked about back then, mm-hmm. but integration was becoming a topic of conversation. You know, how do we integrate more of our knowledge base on food and the and the value and effects of it? Um, so when I went back to uh, school, the purpose was to bring it back to the CIA okay. and um, help to spread the word on the value of self-care. So all those things came together. Okay. Um, they've always been there, but it was a matter of casting the net out. And saying there's really a lot
0: to this. Yeah, and so I, I we talk we've been talking about uh, a lot of stu- like students a lot mm-hmm. um, because if you know that's what our experiences have been is with students. Uh, and then you, so you started like mise en place, this idea of mise en place outside of the kitchen. It you was know, something we would talk we talked about briefly before I graduated school, and I know you've been working on it since I've left. But I just wanted to get into that discussion of mise en place outside of the kitchen. Uh, you know, obviously with students, but also with cooks who don't go to culinary school Mm -hmm. and what that means to you in terms of like creating it.
1: Yeah. So when I, part of my curiosity, when I first got here, Ray, was this whole terminology of mise en place, which, you know, as a, as a non-culinarian, I was not familiar with it at all. And yet I was observing that in the kitchens, when I understood that it was everything in place and that there was a certain methodology within the kitchens for prepping and organization and cleaning. Made great sense to me. And my curiosity continued to build because I would observe students in the kitchen abiding hook, line, and sinker into this concept of mise en place. Chef needed to say it, and boom, everybody was in line, knew exactly what it meant. Mm-hmm. And then they would leave the kitchens, the students would leave the kitchens. And I would watch them, um, you know, I, I, I would. Hear them talk about, uh, you know, they haven't uh, straightened out their room and in, in or taken out the garbage in their room in the month or whatever the case. And I began to think, what what happens to this concept of mise en place in the kitchens? It's it's an automatic. It, it's not even a lot of thought goes into it because it's not it's normal. It's like them. religion almost. Yeah. It is like a religion in a very healthy way. <laughs> so I began to think about how do we help students connect the dots. That this just isn't a kitchen concept. Mm-hmm. This is a life concept, and so we began to look at students uh, and having discussions about students' financial means and plus. So, how are you managing your meal points? Or how's your checkbook looking? Mm-hmm. Or how are you managing money or savings? You know, do you have a savings plan? And when we down in student affairs began to bring the concept and conversation of mise en place into everyday conversations, but we made sure that there was a connection. So how's your physical mise en place going? How is mm-hmm. your um, your social mise en place going? We found that students really responded to that because it was a concept that you were eating, living, and breathing in the kitchens. It worked. It was real. Everybody got it. And then how do we help to make sure that we, um, solidify that as a lifelong component that becomes embedded in everything that you do. And so uh, we started to create things here uh, like Mise and Place U, which was an opportunity for students to get involved with our five core values. That's part of Mise and Place. Mm-hmm. You know, the, any value that we bring, whether you're here at the CIA or you're in a restaurant, or you're in a, uh, a hotel that has the, the you know, hospitals.
2: Okay.
1: So that's, those are all elements of mise en place. And really what we're hoping and encouraging um, students to do is apply it to everything. Okay. Apply the mise en place to everything. Because they've got lots of understanding that whether you're in the kitchen at the CIA or you're in a kitchen in a restaurant, or you're in other areas of your life, mise en place is equal opportunity.
0: Okay. And I guess that's what I kind of wanted to get into with our conversation is, like for me and for a lot of cooks, I know you work 55 to 60 hours a week and you're very tiring. Or if you're going to school, you go to classes, which are either really early, or they get out pretty late. And you also, if you're in clubs or you're on student government board, like there's a lot going on with that. Mm-hmm. And, so in my experience, uh, through school and working until probably a couple months ago, um, it was always like, I'm working really hard at school and then I'm working really hard outside of work. Or if I would get done with work, like working in the industry, when I get home, I wouldn't really do anything for myself. I wouldn't go to the gym. Um, I wouldn't really focus on eating well because I put so much effort into work that when I got out of work, I just like, mentally I was like done. I could do more. And, I. Been able to do more in the last couple months, um, but at that point I was like, you know, this is like really tough for me. And when I went to culinary school, from starting from start to finish, I gained uh, 70 pounds. Um, and it wasn't because it wasn't like because of the curriculum so much, but it was more of I didn't know how to take care of myself outside of the kitchen, and I was eating a lot because I was always tired and stressed, and like you know that would be like a gateway. Like you're talking about relationship with food. And I feel like a lot of cooks go through that. A lot of cooks, you know, even though it's very a very physical, physically demanding job, a lot of cooks t- tend to get overweight at certain times because food is like something that they're eating, and like they're eating family meals over garbage cans, and because you don't really have time to go sit down, and like, that's a reality for a lot of people. So I guess how do you fit me en place into all that? Like, how at the end of the day, after a long shift, do you? kind of still have that understanding that there's more in your life than just like work. That's something I've been trying to talk a lot about on the podcast, but how do you advise cooks to kind of get into that mode that, Hey, like you're not done just yet. Like you still have yourself to take care of. It's not all about the restaurant.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's um, so much of this is repetition. Mm-hmm. So everybody learns, um, certainly here the repetition in the classrooms. Okay. It's repetition of practice. So mise en place, when you were talking, and it was interesting the way that you were talking about how you connected these different things, and that was leading up to some of your um, non-focus on your own self-care. But mise en place is a habit. It's a value, and it's something that doesn't stop or start. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes, um, you know, people will feel like, okay, I'm at work now. I'm sorry. I'm at work now. Um, here's what I need to focus on. And I'd like to challenge people with that. I'd, I'd like to really suggest that mise en place is a mindset. So when you wake up in the morning, um, mindfulness, which, you know, sometimes people are like, what, either what is mindfulness or uh, I don't have time to meditate.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, the simple and really cool aspect of mindfulness is it means being in the moment. So really being aware of what is going on with you, what's going on with your head. And then the concept of mise en place comes in beautifully because you know how to organize in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so I would challenge people to think about how do you organize that in your head, in your day? So the cards that we talked about before are ways to set intention. So one of the things that I coach on is when somebody gets up in the morning is to instead of heading straight for the coffee or straight for the, whatever uh, just take literally 60 seconds, 60 seconds out of our day Hmm. to say, you know what, today I will, whatever that may be today. I will listen today. I will give back today. I will um, live in the solution and, if it's important to write that down and put it on a sticky note or get some of these cards or what have you, as gentle reminders that uh, you started your day that way because you chose to. Mm-hmm. And so while all of these other things are world-winding around us called life, when people talk about a work-life balance, if you take um, work and, and uh, balance out of the equation, you're really talking about life. hmm and so we choose as humans, we prioritize what we feel is the most important, and that can shift from day to day. But for most for most people, they'll say, you know, work for me right now, in the next couple of years of my life, work is going to be the most valuable and important, important piece. And I challenge people to really think about the philosophy of when you're on an airplane and they say, if for some reason we run into cabin pressure issues, uh, make sure that you put your oxygen mask on before you put it on the person, help, person next to you or a child if you're with them. And that kind of goes against um, uh, what we think about, especially when it comes to young kids. Our first inclination is make sure that the, 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 the student is okay, make sure that the, the uh, little kid may be okay, or the, the elderly person, whomever. But the reality of us is if we don't take care of us at the end of the day, our bodies fall apart, our minds fall apart, and those two things are very difficult to, um, or challenging, maybe not so much difficult, but they're certainly challenging to to rekindle the uh, life part of that Mm -hmm. because there's that competing forces. Ray, I got to tell you, one of the things that interests me the most about this industry is I shared with you that I was in private practice as a therapist for, for uh, well over 12 years. And what drew people into my office in that capacity was that when patience and urgency happened in their lives, Mm -hmm. right? So they knew they wanted to be patient, but they felt that everything was urgent all the time and it would crash for them. And that's what would bring them into the office to say, I need to talk about this. And in this industry I'm fascinated by the fact that patience and urgency go in the same sentence for those folks who are in the culinary industry Mm -hmm. and it works. Yeah. It works. And so again, building that mise en place into, okay, there's, um, there's parts of my day where I'm going to be able to really kind of drop into the whole idea of patience, right? Being in the moment. But I also know that I'm, I'm under a sense of urgency when it comes to making sure that the food gets fired up and out and it's hot and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. And if we can spend more time paying attention and being mindful to the signals that our body gives, the signals that our mind gives, and stop vetoing them and promise ourselves at the end of the day, tomorrow I'm going to get to that or i'm going to eat better or i'm going to exercise more or i'm going to do this if if it's it's hard mm-hmm. and it's challenging but if you repeat it enough times it will become part of your lifestyle if you allow it in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: An example that you gave before is, you know, you were tired after the, your shift, your food choices were um, less than satisfactory for you. And the end result was you gained 70 pounds, mm-hmm. right? And that those variables can happen in all different ways. But when you think about it, if you're not sleeping well and you're tired and the day leads to more tiredness, our alertness goes down, our ability to rise to the occasion to make healthy choices is out the window
2: mm-hmm.
1: and there's the cycle.
2: Yep.
1: There's the cycle. So imagine what it could look like if we all just spent the 60 seconds just creating our mise en place for the day in terms of our intention, what's the most valuable? Is it the to-do list or is it, I'm going to pay attention to my breathing. I'm going to go walk up and down before you know the crowd comes in. I'm going to go walk up and down or around the restaurant or, or what have you, or I am just going to be mindful about getting into bed at a, a decent time. Yep. I'm not going to choose any kind of substances or what have you to make, you know, the world go away because I'm worth more than that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Common sense, not often common practice.
0: Definitely. Yeah. It's actually funny. You talked about breathing before service. Um, remember, One of the most important lessons I learned was from chef X uh, from Vokus, and Yeah, a big thing he would say is, you know, you have to go and take a breath. Uh, I remember one time I was cooking still during family meal, and he he got upset with me. He was like, you know, go, go sit down for fifteen minutes and like go eat and collect yourself because you need that break before or after prep and before service. Um, That was important. But um, uh, in a sense, like what I learned from you is, I don't know if I told you this, but like once I graduated, I knew that like like I needed to make a change. So this past fall, I was working, but I was Throughout the last two and a half years, I was always like, I'll eat better, you know, tomorrow, in a sense. And I always, like, you know, started working out tomorrow, and I never got to it. But then this last fall, like, after talking with you uh, before graduation about, like, mise en place and what you had planned, I was like, you know, I really want to be an example and a leader in the industry. I have to, like, step up my game in terms of, like, what I'm how I'm taking care of myself and with, you know, Chef Ordain, passing is like I really need to focus on myself and how I'm doing as well as like the kitchen. And it went hand in hand with exercising regularly and going to bed at a better hour. And through all and eating like way better than I ever have. And you know, I dropped sixty three pounds. So we're almost back to um, thank you. Um the biggest thing that you brought up that, you know, I didn't mention in my example was sleep. Um when I I managed to get eight hours of sleep a night and I work you know, a lot. And I do the podcast and the Instagram, but I'm still able to get those eight hours. And sleep has been like a very valuable tool for me because it lets me go through the rest of the day. Um, like you said clear minded. And do you think sleep is a very underrated thing that chefs take for granted? Because it's almost a badge of honor in an industry to not sleep and to go into work shifts like with only four hours of sleep and you went out partying last night or you just worked late and then you're in the next day early. And, they were, and cooks, like, think it's cool and, like, they're proud of it. And, you know, I've been there, too. But how underrated do you think sleep is to the equation?
1: You know, I think that sleep um, is underrated and it's not just about the culinary industry or the food service industry. I think that we are in an environment now where, you know, working hard is equated to lack of self-care. Mm-hmm. So um, there are multiple volumes of research about how sleep affects us. And when we get less than we need, what begins to happen is our body starts to to trick itself into thinking that um, we can manage the same way with acuity and alertness as we could um, when we got a really good night's sleep. And um, that's just not the case. It's Mm -hmm. it's not the case. I know that there are some people that may have um, have, through a habit or it's just that their circadian rhythm is, you know, based on, you know, five or six hours versus the, the seven to eight hours. But I think it's very valuable to understand that when someone chooses to not sleep when they could sleep, mm-hmm. um, how does that in the, how does that at the end of the day help you move forward positively? Yeah. You know, it happens, things happen or, or what have you, but again, there's, and this is, this is not recent. There's age old studies that talk about, you know, especially if you're going to do traveling or what have you, Set a habit. Get your mise en place together. If you can get into bed, you know, if you're off the shift of of working at 5 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning to create a schedule that really is consistent to allow your body to just, um, I I almost want to say heal from from the day's work. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, And sleep is restorative. Sleep is about restoring uh, what happens And our minds think better, We're clearer, uh, we feel better, we can make healthy decisions. Uh, we may not be as tired. Um, all of those things that that go into um, healthy self-care. And I, you know, I, again, I, I think that these are challenges that we need to talk a lot more about. And I think that we need to, to to challenge each other. I don't know if you're familiar if you saw the ice bucket challenge, mm-hmm. right? So so that was a sort of like a, a big flash thing that, that huge, went on, yeah. right? That was really pretty cool. And when I watched that in my world, you know, in my mise en place, I thought about, wow, that's great. Uh, what about you know a a, a a sleep challenge or a healthy eating challenge or an exercise challenge? And they happen. Mm-hmm. But these are the kinds of things that need to get built into our everyday thinking.
2: Yes.
1: We also, frankly, have to be kind to ourselves mm-hmm. um, because every day is gonna be different. Yep. And so if we lock and load on, I'm gonna, you know, sleep this much and I'm gonna eat this, part of that may happen uh, a majority of the time. But there may be days where that just doesn't work Mm -hmm. and you know what that's okay what's the next day look like what's the mise en place for the next day yeah and so when we talk about diets in january right january one everybody's got their (laughs) their if it's dieting or they've got their new exercise plan and by february nobody's talking about them anymore because it was unrealistic or it wasn't because it's not something that we just inject in uh it's something that we value and that's the mise en place part of it. We if we value mise en place and we value us um, that just helps us to create an atmosphere where we're feeling really good and we're in a, we're in the hospitality industry, right? Mm-hmm. So when we feel good, we we pass on positive energy to other people which builds into the experience that we want to create in the hospitality industry and that people feel good. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of that positive energy, the optimism, the grit, whatever we want to call it, uh, that can be contagious. And it's also connected with kindness. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to be kind when you're cranky because you haven't eaten or you're cranky because you didn't get enough sleep. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: And you all went in, we all went into this industry um, because we're passionate about food in one way or another or mm-hmm. giving back to people or being hospitable and um you know the other uh, I think advice if you will that I would give is to to have people dial into the value of um, demanding kindness
0: okay yeah that's a definitely a topic I want to get into next is I guess the mental health aspect of it all mm-hmm. and one thing I've noticed I mean I've been very fortunate to work for people. Who weren't really terrible to me, but a lot of cooks go through a lot of kitchens, and the chef, you know, isn't the best to them. Um, I was interviewing a chef, and he was saying how the, you know, he works for a well-known chef, and the chef called him a different name just because he didn't want to call him his own name. Like he mm-hmm. just, he couldn't he didn't want to like t- take the time to remember that chef's name. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like you know this is like if anything, remember his name. Like that's that's crazy that you think you're on such a high pedestal you can't call someone their name. And you know you have examples like that, and obviously the industry is leaning towards more like treating others right but there's still the chefs out there who treat each other poorly and I think it's interesting for me as I start to get older um, and kind of working the industry more that you know the chefs of the past who maybe were really famous but also were known for like their anger or their how they were they were just not they were just people who didn't take care of themselves well and you know you see a lot of people i mentioned anthony bourdain like for me that, that was like the big snap i guess of um d- really paying attention to how you take care of yourself uh what you like what's your advice for a cook who's struggling with maybe you know depression but maybe just like the the feeling of um, like a lot of cooks talk to me about it. like they feel like they're in a rut feel like they're not going anywhere you know they're they want to have Michelin stars, and they want to be on the world's 50 best list, and they want James Beard's awards, and they want their own cookbooks, and they want their own you know, eater article, and they want all these different accolades. And I know that's those aren't the right things to want, but it's human nature to want to be recognized for your hard work. A lot of cooks don't get recognized for the hard work they do day in, day out. That's kind of why I started this. So what's your advice for a cook who's stuck in a rut, doesn't feel appreciated, appreciated, or they just don't feel like they're doing what they thought they would be doing right now
1: mm-hmm. and those can be really challenging places for people to be and so you know I know you you kind of teed it up about the the culinary industry but you know frankly I think it's I think this is another example of, of equal opportunity mm-hmm. um, when it comes to people um, you know everybody comes to this, to the table with a story and so part of what would be great, is for uh, people to find mentors, right? Mm -hmm. So you you gave the example about not sure what direction career-wise. There are some incredibly cool, cool people um, in this industry. Uh, A lot of cool people in this industry who have such a, a, a gift of wanting to give back and to be able to mentor uh, other folks that are within the industry and, and what their experience has been. and How can they help to um, give some ideas or some things to think about um, when it comes to careers? Um, I think the, you know, here, uh, we started a, as part of our, our campaign on wellness we created eight dimensions of wellness. So, you know, you see sitting in in front of us here is, Mm -hmm. is just the eight dimensions of wellness. And so they have everything to do with physical wellness and social wellness and intellectual wellness and occupational and spiritual and financial and emotional and environmental. And so when it comes to being in those ruts, you know, I really um, would challenge people to just take a look at, you know, what's the one that you feel of those eight dimensions? You know, what one do you feel the strongest about mm-hmm. and why? Right. And sometimes we don't take that time to reflect on what we bring to the table. That's just really great. Um, and that can help in our energy levels. Right. And then also take a look at, you know, what are the one or two things, um, in these areas, that cause us the much, the most angst that we're challenged by the most. And then to think about, okay, so do I want to do anything with that? Don't I want to do anything with that? Um, If I do, what's my path? You know, who can I talk to about that? Is it a matter of books or people or places? Um, The whole idea about checking in with, with attitude as well. You know, we, we, there's many organizations that talk about the amount of hours that they put in or how hard people will work. And what's also fascinated me about the industry is that the industry is about efficiencies mm-hmm. right? and it's part of the mise en place. Um, but how, how do other, how do folks embed the efficiencies into uh, their life as well, yeah. you know, and, and to balance those And, you know, balance is a funky thing. I don't know if anybody's got an explanation for it. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? It may be one thing for me, it might be slightly different. So I I think, you know, when you talk about getting in ruts, um, here's what I can share with you is that taking care of yourself can often help. It may not be the solution or resolution to everything that's going on in your life at the moment. But taking care of yourself can absolutely, by eating healthy, we know that there's certain foods that, um, can trigger, um, you know, different moods, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether that's caffeine or whether that's sugar or, uh, any of those kinds of things. So to be reflective, you know, is that something that I, I would be willing to maybe shift and that's work.
2: Yeah. Right. Definitely.
1: So when you think about the amount of work that people put in on a day, When it comes to our own health and wellness, um, that can feel like a lot of work. But that repetitiveness that we talked about at the very beginning is is invaluable. Um, I think exercise, there's lots of research that suggests exercise. And some of that can just be walking, literally. Um, But the exercise can help to elevate a lot of our energy levels inside. And again, it's not, I think today I'm going to walk for seven minutes and then not walk for another four months. You know, that, that's just sort of unrealistic, frankly. And it doesn't mean that I've made a commitment that I'm going to walk four hours a day on top of my 14 hour day. Again, it's, it's being kind to yourself. Um, But I think there are um, different situational factors. You know, sometimes people are going to have to just have some really important, authentic conversations, not just with themselves about where they're at, but um, with their mentors and with their coaches, um, with their, um, sometimes with with the boss um, or the supervisor, In in a manner of living in the solution. And that's hard too, because sometimes when you get in a rut, you know, living in the solution isn't the first thing that you're thinking about. Mm. Um, you're thinking about this just stinks. Yeah,
2: um,
1: but we have such a resilience um, within us um, to be able to think of ways to at least help ourselves. It doesn't mean that it's going to springboard us into, um, you know, no more worries or anxiety or concerns. But we often feel, and um, it, it feels as though we are really held hostage by those things. And um, there's some work that needs to get done. You know, mental health issues across the nation, uh, you know, especially for the young adults, is um, it's it's growing, it's increasing. Mm-hmm. And so, what do we do with that? We talk about it. Yeah. And we live in the solutions of things. We talk about the value of these elements in our mise en place when it comes to it. And and again, I am not negating folks that have at all um, that that may have suffered from things like you know clinical depression or um, other elements that absolutely uh, warrant the need for additional services. Mm. You know, it's one of the reasons that. Uh, You know, and that's not something that um, that we we need to continue. Let me rephrase that. We really need to continue to um, reduce the stigma that goes along with feeling overwhelmed or depression or anxiety and not minimize them in any way, but just recognize that those things are very real And how can we help to bring things that comes along with our own self care, asking for help, uh, being able to look at things a little bit differently? Um, How can that all come together, and how can we support one another? How can we support one another Mm -hmm. when it comes to that?
0: Yeah, that's support has been a big thing, especially when you're like a leader of people. Um, You know, you say we have to talk about it more, we have to communicate more. And a big thing I've noticed is, like, people talk about it, but then there's, like, the moments where you actually have to execute. And I think that's where the most important aspects of it lies. So, for example, like, a cook needs a day off. Say you're, like, a chef in a Michelin kitchen, and a cook needs a day off because they're feeling overwhelmed and, like, their mental health, they're not okay to spot mentally. As a chef, like, are you going to make the call and be like, okay, you can have that when that person's really needed, or are you just going to try to, you know, be like, I need you to work today. Like, I'm sorry. Like what, you know what I mean? I think change the industry to change the industry. You have to be the chef. That's like, all right, I get it. But yeah. You being here is very important, but you being okay is more important. And I think those are the steps we need to take to kind of evolve what the industry is becoming. And I think a lot of chefs won't accept that at first. Like, are you crazy? Like you're not going to work because of, you know, you're not, you feeling like overwhelmed. Like I feel overwhelmed all the time, but I think if there's more of an understanding mm-hmm. in that, I think that's, kind of the next step, because I hear everyone, like, talk about it, but, like, what are we actually doing to implement it, I guess, so, and you're doing it by helping students, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm more talking about, like, in the industry, like, kind of getting through that barrier.
1: I think that there's, um, I think that there's a general, a general shift um, in certainly the, the hospitality industry, and I think what I'm observing is it's, it's kind of going back to the, the, philosophy of what the hospitality and food services food service industry is about and that is that people that get into this industry are in here because they love it mm-hmm. they are passionate about it and so when that passion and that love uh, begins to uh, work in ways that are not um, helpful right um, that's a that's a really important time for every, all of us to take a step back and say, wait a second, you know what, let me, let me reflect on how I'm doing business. Mm -hmm. Um, and what value do I put on Mm self-care and that it's got to start from there. Um, because it's not gonna, it's not going to be mandated that everybody demand kindness and it's not going to be mandated that, you know, every, uh, person in the industry is going to, uh, you know, give every day off that is requested. Right. Um, The world doesn't work that way. But the reality of it is, is how, what is the, you gave the example of, of um, Chef X starting a class or reminding throughout class to breathe.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. The breathing helps you to just refocus. Yeah. Those simple kinds of elements that we can help to impart in the industry here. All over. Imagine what the industry could look like. As one example, if that was an that was a um, an intentional way for folks within the kitchen
2: mm-hmm.
1: equal opportunity. So if I'm standing next to you on the line and I'm feeling you just get heated and not because it's hot in the kitchen, but because something's going on, you know, when I, I'm watching you, uh, you know, tense up or, you know, the, the urgency is getting the best of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how cool would it be if everybody was on the same page? And uh, if I was standing next to you to say, "Here, Ray, right, breathe. Uh, we've got to start to think about ways that we can do that. That's not off-putting. Mm-hmm. That is not going to you know necessarily mandate as I shared before that everybody has to do it or or whatever the case is, but that's how these habits begin
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's through conversation, so even though the conversation may not feel like it's the action step you know to come up with if i would i share with students all the time you know when when you're in a situation here um what's the solution look like for you at the moment? Healthy solution, positive solution, energy-driven solution look like for you in the moment. And sometimes it's just saying to the other person, hey, when you do that, that just really gets to me. Hmm. Um, or it may be them saying, I just got to go walk up and down for a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: Those are the steps we can take.
1: There are, there are lots of steps we can take. The issue is our willingness to take them on. Okay. And pass them on.
0: Okay. Awesome. And then I guess the the last uh, bit, because, you know, you're talking about breathing and just relaxing, looking more towards long-term. Like I, I was talking about earlier, how cooks want the accolades, and want their stars. I mean, like, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that wants, you know, at least some recognition. You know, I think it's important to recognize the people who change the industry. Um, but for me, when I was in school, my first two years was, I want to be a michelin star chef. Like, I got here not knowing who Thomas Keller was and learning who he was and learning the prestige of everything. And I think it's very admirable to want to do food on that level. Um, but then once I got into bachelor's, started, I started to realize, you know, I want my impact to be more on like a social type change, whatever that would be at the time, which is now hopefully going to be this. But what do you, what, I guess, what your, not even your advice, but what are your thoughts on cooks who want the stars, want the, not even the fame, but just like the prestige that comes with knowing that you've made it. Because I feel like a lot of cooks feel like if in order to know that they made it, they need to get stars. And for me, coming from Buffalo, coming from a low-income family, we're never going to have, you know, I never say never. But we're not going to have Michelin Guide there for a while if they ever come. So, like, for people, cooks who are in areas who can't even get that, what should their goals kind of be focused on? I mean, not, like, specifically, but in general, like, I feel like your industry is just the goals are wrong for a lot of people and what they're out to do. And I think in part of self-care, a lot of people are going to be like, why can't I aspire to be a Michelin star chef? And you can, but like, what are, what, what do you, what are your thoughts on it? I guess cooks just chasing all of that. Are they missing like the bigger picture that we're here to serve others or like, is it something that they should be okay with? But it's just something that stresses them out a lot, I guess.
1: Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question because to your point, people's definition of recognition and acknowledgement comes in all different shapes and sizes. Mm. So there are people that, you know, see that with the the stars. There are people that want to hear from the diners that are in their establishment. That was the best meal I ever had. And that's satisfying for them. So I don't think that there is absolutely a one size fits all for, for something like those, those accolades, but what I know, and this is one of the things that I've that I've um, learned from um, President Ryan, who does an incredible job of talking with our students when they first get here. Mm-hmm. And you know, his one of his points he's got a, a number of different really really important points. But one of his points is no risk, no reward, right? So sometimes we really have to take risks of when we start out on our. Path of most potential in our minds. To your example, you know, you came in here, you learned about Thomas Keller as an example, and you wanted to emulate a lot of his different ways he did he did business and you know his success in the industry. Then you went on to another phase, which is the bachelor's program. So grateful that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that opened up your your thinking. So the idea of Risking the element of change and that it's OK to recognize that throughout our evolution, those things may change. Those goals, those aspirations that we set out when we were thinking about the CIA, we were thinking about getting into the industry um, and just keeping wide open to the value of finding what makes you happy, mm-hmm. finding what makes you Want more? Finding something that you're not going to stop because your level of curiosity is so heightened about what you're looking at at the moment that it then expands your horizon and your opportunities, and then you need to take the risk to go and to try other things. So um, you know, everybody's got. I think I think everybody has aspirations of of what they want to do, and they get inspired by different people. And I think the idea of continuing to to be open to that mm-hmm. uh, and um, think about and it goes back to the whole reflective piece that I've that I've mentioned a, a handful of times, which is what what does that look like for you? You know, what is what is the accolade look like for you? And, um, you know, once let, let's just say you, you get the gold star or whatever it is, the Michelin star, or you get a great write up in the New York times or, or what have you, um, what's next? Yeah. What's next? So the, to, you know, Dr. Ryan also does a, a great, um, part of his presentation, which is talking about think big, you know, think big because we're on, we choose to be on a path of most potential right? And that's about us. That's about what does most potential look like for us? How many times, I just had a student in here yesterday who was talking about how she's running for SGA, for, for a position in SGA. And a, a number of folks that are already on SGA have come to her and said, gosh, you know what? We think you should put your hat in the in the ring to run because here's all the, the things that we've seen and watched you do. And you know, her response was, I wish I could see that. Mm -hmm. I see some of that, but gosh, you know, these people come to me, they they say, my gosh, you've done X, Y, and Z. I wish I could feel that. And part of that is that mindset. It's not easy, Mm -hmm. but part of that is that mindset. So what is it that's most valuable and most important? And the way that life seems to work for most people is that we go through different components within life that bring us different joys and different heartaches, frankly. Uh, And that becomes who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And we find our place within that because we're on the path of most potential. And we may find ourselves reflecting and redefining and getting more curious about something else, which leads to something else, which then goes into something else. Um, You know, I remember remember my father, who was a blue-collar worker, in uh, sheet metal and heating and air conditioning. And I was very fastidious about when I was in my twenties, I would take out my yellow lined pad of paper, my legal pad of paper. And, uh, I wanted to, um, I wanted to map out, you know, by the time I'm 25 and by the time I'm 27, and by the time I'm 30, and, and I would craft out all of these goals and, And on the one hand, it was great because I could drive myself towards those things. But I remember one time I had a goal of of buying a townhouse, you know, by the time I was 27 or something along those lines. And I drove my father out of his mind because my father was very practical a lot of common sense. So I would get on the phone with him because he was a big fan. And I'd get on the phone with him and I'd say, "Okay, Dad, here's here's what I'm going to do. I figured it out this way. Boom, 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 boom. And he'd say, "Okay, that sounds great. Just do it. And then I'd say, but you know what, I I took this fee out and put that fee in and I'm pretty close to it. And he said, oh, you know, Kathleen, that sounds great. And at the end of the conversation about this, he said, can I just make one recommendation? So, you know, my, I was a huge fan. I, I adored my father. And I said, and he said to me, um, can you just walk away from that yellow pad? Can you just put it down? And can you just, if you if you think you can do this and you've already done your homework, go out and test it. Take that risk, take that risk. And um, I think that that's a really important thing. And it's scary for a lot of people because we're at different points in, in different points of our lives. Things mm-hmm. matter, priorities change. Things matter differently. So is that, you know, how do we how do we continue to grow? And that to me is the best gift is being open-minded to people, places and things and to give back and to grow.
0: Thank you, Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I guess my second to last question will be um, what have you learned the most from your years being around culinary students, everyone from, you know, people like me who were just always had some advice to get or, you know, always just working on something to students who, you know, were very talented in the kitchen and very ahead of their time. Maybe like you've, you've probably seen a lot of amazing people come through the school. What have you learned the most from them?
1: I have learned so much, actually, from the students, which is, um, you know, why I jumped at the opportunity to come down to Student Affairs to you know, really get on the, the, the campus experience side of the house as well. Kind of build that out. Um, my gosh, I'm not sure if I know where to begin. Um, you know, I've learned about students' passion for 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 hospitality, for food service, for the earth, for sustainability, for preparation, for mise en place, all of those kinds of of elements. What fascinated me when I first got here was I was used to um, uh, uh, more of the higher education where you'd come in as a freshman and you'd take all the general ed classes and then you could decide on your major when you got to your junior year. And here we have an inverted model. You all came in knowing that you wanted to go into some segment of the industry.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I used to always think to myself, how cool is that? Because you stuck with it. You knew you were focused, you were driven. And there's so much to know about this industry that you all were just really soaking it all up and soaking it all in to then think about how you were going to make a difference as the next succession to the industry. And I get jazzed up by that stuff. I mean, just really, I, I, Every day, get jazzed up by the passion and the love that you all have for the industry and and for um, giving back and for everything, you know, food and earth related. So that's one thing. I've never seen that. I've never seen that wane here at all. Every group of students comes in, bringing the same passion with them, which is really cool. Um, I've also, I think, you know, one of the things I shared before, which um, I intrigues me every single day is this whole patience and urgency in the same sentence mm-hmm. because for the rest of the world, that oftentimes, like I shared with you, crashes in our heads and, you know, can get us all confused for you all. There's a, there's a very, very synergistic balance between those two things. Um, and so, you know, where my sights get to is, wow, there's something to that. Mise and place, as you know, that was probably one of my, my greatest, uh, my greatest finds here was the whole concept of mise en place and how that really helps. Uh, how can we help to close the gap between what happens in the industry with mise en place and what happens in our lives in mise en place. Um And I also, I think, learned that this industry. Because it's built on, on passion and because it's built on, on love of, of the craft, um, the value of taking care, the self-care, and how valuable and important that is, it's hard to, it's hard to um, have love and passion without self-care. Yeah. yeah. So I think that those are the things that I are my, my most valued takeaway. And at the end of the day, Ray, it really is about, I have been so blessed with interacting with all of you uh, and just learning about what what you wanted, how you started, where you ended up at graduation. And now, you know, having you as an example, come back, you know, this is a field that you hadn't really explored or set your sights on until you said, hmm, there's an area here that I can contribute to, that I can give back to amongst all the other things that you always give back up. But with all of your experiences here, you know, what's this element for you? So just the opportunity to have the time. Um, and uh, you know, the, the delightful uh, day to spend with you thinking about this stuff. And how can, how can each one of us in our own way uh, continue to, to make a difference and get mad? Yeah, right. do y'all. Do you remember that?
2: Make a difference. Talking yeah. about getting
1: mad, and I—that's my biggest, my biggest recommendation: get mad every day. <laughs> so when you talk about those, uh, you know, stresses and all that kinds of stuff, change it to mean make a difference, and go do it.
0: Awesome. Um, my last question on the podcast. Uh, this is my last question for everyone. Is yeah, you know, you started to touch upon it. Uh, what is now that you've been on the podcast, you're part of the Lion Cook Nation. Um, what does it mean to you to be a part of the Lion Cook Nation? a group of cooks, chefs, industry people who really want to be there for each other, relate with each other, and kind of just explore this idea of self-care and promoting each other's brands and, you know, recognizing that the people who work every day for the industry deserve to be recognized just as much as, you know, the Thomas Kellers and uh, Daniel Ballews and Rene Like, What is your thought on that, on being a part of it all?
1: So if I had to wrap it up into one sort of element, I would say, you know what, carry the weather within. And really what I mean by that is that um, all of the folks that are part of the, the line cook nation, make sure that you circle back every single day and remind yourself and reflect on why you got into the industry to begin with. And you know, what is the most fulfilling thing for you and why do you want to pursue this industry and how, how can you give back? Um, and, and what is, you're going to hear me talk about this, I think for, for here on out. Um, and that is the element of um, the element of kindness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what? It, it's free. Uh, it doesn't take much and it creates the experience, not only for other people, but for all the folks that are in line Cook Nation that are thinking about, you know, how, am I right for this? Is this a good fit for me? Uh, what can I give back? Uh, get up in the morning. After you've gotten a great night's sleep, spend 60 seconds, 60 seconds to, to just say, today I will. And that's where you carry the weather within. You can say, today I will live in the solution. Or today I will fight the solution, meaning that you're going to be not wanting to listen to any solutions. And that's a choice. And that's a choice that we all have to make. And um, you got this. You got this. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on. I think it's a great conversation. Um, And for everyone who listened to the conversation, you know, really take what she said. It's hard and start making that change you wanted to make for a while. You know, start doing the things you wanted to do and just keep your passion burning, but in a way that's good for you and helps you mentally and physically to be a better cook and a better person outside of work. Thank you so much, Dean Margett. Thank you. So there you have it, the interview with Dean Margett. I hope you all enjoyed and look forward to hearing what you have to say. Please share your thoughts on the episode and just take care of yourself, cooks.